Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. We're in a series called Invest Your Life, and today the title of the message is The Un- invested life. It's the missed opportunities. It's those who say to God, I, I don't really want to do what you want me to do. When we talk about investing your life, we're, we're really talking about Jesus by the lakeshore, and he calls to the fishermen. He says, come and follow me, and I want you to try really, really hard, and I want you to work harder, and I want you to do more, and I want you to get more exhausted, and that's, that's not what he says, was it? He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will do something in your life. If you will just show up, if you will invest more, I will do more. And that's what this whole series is about. If you missed the first two messages, like Phil said, they are available on our YouTube channel. Today we're going to talk about what happens if I don't invest. What kind of a life is that? You know, we all have missed good investments in the past, haven't we? I mean, how many of you spent $1,000 for Apple stock right at their IPO? Because if you did, you got $1.1 million right now. So go ahead and drop that in the box on your way out, and that would be a very godly thing for you to do. But a lot of it, we've all missed them. We've all missed opportunities, you know. I'm glad to see that my, uh, my, my Julie sister and my brother-in-law Mike are here today. Mike had a 67 Mustang in high school. Sadly, he no longer has it. But that would have been a great investment, right? We've all done that. We've all missed really good things that we could have, ah, I just didn't hold on to. I didn't make that investment, didn't believe enough, whatever. Well, spiritually speaking, the same thing really happens when we fail to invest. We fail to live an invested life. I think one of the most poignant and saddest stories in scriptures in Mark chapter 10 and a rich young man comes to Jesus. And you know the story. He, he comes running up to Jesus and he falls on his knees and he says, Jesus, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know, have you kept the commandments? And he summarizes them for him. He says, yeah, I've lived a good life. I, 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 I've kept the commandments all my life. And, and Jesus says, well, there's one thing you lack. What's that? Well, you need to go. And sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. Let me ask you, does that make you a little uncomfortable? See, Jesus never says this to anyone else. He never goes to them and says, listen, you need to sell all you have. Although he did call the disciples to leave everything they had, didn't he? Come follow me. Sell everything you have and come follow me. And this is the point. What is he going to do? And the response is heartbreaking. Because in Mark chapter 10, 22, it says, Disheartened by the saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Following Jesus, answering that call was too expensive for him. He said, I can't do that. Have you been there? Have you ever assessed what it would cost you to follow Jesus? You ever kind of sat back and thought, what is it really going to cost me? And maybe you've said, you know what, I can't really do that. 
or I can't really take the next step. I, I got to limit myself. I can't give everything. I, I just can't do it. Or maybe you're like, I, I, I like Jesus a lot. And I really like coming to church some. But I don't really want to get close enough to get that kind of assignment. You ever feel that way? It's kind of like my first job out of college. I worked offshore in the Gulf of Mexico. And so we'd work some days offshore, and then we'd be off for some days. And back in those days, some of you might remember this, they had what were called landlines. Do you remember those? Do you remember those landlines? I know all you kids under the age of 30 don't even know what that is probably, but there was no such thing as cell phones, which was a great thing because when your boss was trying to call you to tell you to go offshore, I wasn't home. I, I didn't get the call. My answering machine failed. Whatever. I wanted to still have a job. I just didn't want to get an assignment. Because whoever they found at home had to go that day and be gone for 7 to 14 days out in the Gulf of Mexico. It was not something you wanted to do every day. Some of us are there spiritually. I want to know Jesus. I'm a little concerned about the assignment. That's what we're talking about today. This means you are not an invested person. You're just kind of looking at the stock market, but you're not making any investment. You're kind of aware, but you're not taking any risk. Or maybe you're like our character today, Jonah, and you're really running from God. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Let's look at what happens when we don't live an invested life and when we run from God. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, some people look at the story of Jonah and they go, you know what, I don't think that really could happen. I think that's kind of just a parable. I don't know if Jonah was a historical person. But biblically, Jesus refers to Jonah as though he is a historical person. So that makes me feel like he's real. And this is a real story. As a matter of fact, uh, 2 Kings 14 talks about a prophet named Jonah, son of Amittai. And so it feels like this is a real person. So unless the Bible makes, helps you know that it's not a real person, this is a real guy, this is a real prophet. He was a known person. He was God's voice, if you will. Someone that God spoke to and spoke through, a real person. Which takes us to the next thing that's really important to understand, is that Jonah could hear the voice of God. He could hear the voice of God. And this may be the most chilling part of the story. Here is a man who speaks for God, who can hear the voice of God, who makes a decision about whether or not he's going to follow God. He's not responding out of ignorance. It's not a question of him going, well, I don't know if God, God might have said that, you know. He might have told me to take that job. He might have told me to do that thing. I don't really know. I'm just kind of in the fuzzy area. No, Jonah knows. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And you might say, well, how did it come? Did it 
Was it a, like an email? Was it like a skywriting in the air? Was it him showing up and writing on ta- doesn't really matter, honestly. I wouldn't tell us how we spoke to him. All we know for sure is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and likely Jonah is the author here, so he knows this is the voice of God. So here's the voice of God, but how important is it to really respond to God's call and God's assignment, God's direction? Is it kind of important? Is it sort of important? Is it really important? Is it critically important? Is it something you don't even think about? You must do it. See, I think a lot of people who claim to be followers of Christ today kind of see God's word and God's call on our lives and God's direction as optional. You can do it if you want. But hey, I was saved and baptized as years ago, and I really, I can just do whatever I want because there's always repentance, right? And I can just kind of do, listen, if that's your thought, I, I, I'm not sure you know him. Let's talk about the God of the universe here. I'm not talking about your next door neighbor. Talk about the God of the universe. When he speaks, when I read his word, when I hear his word preached, And I know this is what God wants for me. How I respond is how I respond to the holy God of the universe. It's it's not optional. It's very, very serious. See, the story of Jonah is the story of what can happen when we look at Jesus' call and teachings as optional. As optional. So today... If you're struggling with what you know God's called you to do, this is for you. If you're wondering whether or not the message that you hear from God on a regular basis is something you need to follow, this is for you. And I hope it's a blessing for you. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah rose. If you stop right there, it sounds like it's going to be good. If you just stop right there, because Jonah's rising, he's going to get up, he's going to go to Nineveh. I know that's what he's going to do. I know, I know he hates Nineveh, incidentally. Nineveh is in Assyria, and, and the Ninevites were enemies of Israel, and they, he had a lot of reason to hate him, and he just really hated them. But he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This is exactly where I know I'm supposed to go, but instead I go to Tarshish. And it's, it's interesting that that name of that town is mentioned three times in one verse. Don't miss that. That's for emphasis. Jonah's saying, I, I went to Tarshish. Well, Tarshish was 2,000 miles to the west, virtually at the end of the Mediterranean Sea, very likely in the country we now know as Spain. Nineveh, on the other hand, was 500 miles to the north-northeast. Essentially, Jonah said, I'm going the opposite way. I know God wants me to go there, but I'm going to go to Tarshish because, by golly, Tarshish sounds a lot more fun. I'm going to go the other direction. I'm going to go. Tarshish was, incidentally, think about it, that was the edge of the known world at the time. 
No one knew what was beyond the great ocean. No one knew if there was anything beyond the great ocean. Tarshish was the, as Eugene Peter says, Eugene Peterson says, the gateway to adventure. Exciting, thrilling. It's, it's a way to escape and get away from the challenges I'm facing. It's a way to get away from the presence of the Lord. It's interesting that Tarshish is that excitement, that place that he wants to go to get away from God. It's really, Tarshish represents rebellion. So many times people say, well, I know God wanted me to do this, but I, I did something exciting that I thought was cooler, and I did that instead. See, that's, that's rebellion. No, Jonah's doing, he's in rebellion. See, he's fleeing to Tarshish says that you strongly believe that life is better running from God than it is investing in his assignment. When I say no to God, I'm saying, God, I I just think life's going to be better this way. I think life's going to be better doing what you told me not to do. You say, I would never do that. Really? I mean, so often people do exactly that. I know this is what you want, God, but I, I, I just don't want to do that. So I think life's going to be better disobeying you. You see, Tarshish is a place that is away from the presence of God. You say, oh, I thought God was omnipresent. Yeah, you can't actually get away from him completely, but it's away from where he wants to work in your life. It's saying, I don't want to come into your presence. How, how do you feel about the presence of God, incidentally? I mean, if God showed up, right, well, wait a minute, I hope he is here right now. I, th- I think we've already felt him here in worship today. We've already sensed the God of the universe's presence. When you think of entering God's presence, is that a good thing? Or is that a thing where you say, you know what, I, I don't want to do that because if I get into his presence, probably going to see all the stuff I've been doing. And I might even get an assignment I don't really want. Jonah, God's prophet, rises up and he leaves the presence of the Lord. You see, when you don't desire the presence of the Lord, there's something about him or what he is doing that you don't approve of. And that's Jonah. Do you approve of everything that God is doing in our lives We get like Adam and Eve, who remember when they sinned, they hid from God. I don't want to be in his presence. See, you're either seeking the presence of the Lord or you're running from the presence of the Lord. You're trying to avoid it. In a few moments, we're going to invite you to come. We're going to make available the elements of the Lord's Supper. The bread and the cup, the juice... They don't become the body and blood of Jesus Christ, but they do represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you come, you're saying, I have been saved, I have been baptized, and I want to come and I want to really take the presence of the Lord into my my body. I'm all in for the presence of God. And some people say, you know what, I want to receive the Lord's Supper because it makes me feel holier or it makes me feel innocent. Listen, none of that really works. You've got to decide, I I want to be clean on the inside, and I want to demonstrate it by receiving the elements of the Lord's Supper.
It doesn't save you. It doesn't make you holy. It's an expression after you have been cleansed by Jesus Christ and a remembrance of what he has done. You come into the presence of the Lord. How does that make you feel? You know, Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, and we've been talking about this a lot this year in our prayer times. He said, I'm praying that you would be strengthened by the Spirit so that Jesus Christ could dwell in you without getting into massive amounts of theology. He's simply saying our weakness tends to push God away. Our weakness tends us to flee from having him fill us. We tend to run. We tend to flee from the presence of the Lord. But when we do, one of two things happens, right? If you're running from God, if you're saying, in some area of your life, I don't want you to do what you want to do, there's, there's one of two things happens. Either, number one, he comes after us, and we enter a very difficult time sometimes. When God gets the hook of his staff underneath the chin of his sheep, it can be painful when he pulls you back. But, oh, how grateful are you that he does that? That he reaches out and gets you and pulls you back. It's a blessing that he loves us that much. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I leave the 99 to go find the one. I come to find you. Let me tell you, if you're in a difficult time right now, and you have that sense that God has drawn you back to him, you should be on your knees praising him for that. I thank you for that. Because if you are happily able to sin and to sail off to Tarshish, away from the presence of God, and you feel no constraint, no, nothing happens to draw you back, that is the scariest place in the world to be because it means you don't belong to Him. People sometimes will say to me, you know, Steve, I don't understand why all these sinners in our world, can sin so profusely and so dishonor God, and they just seem so happy. And I'm like, maybe, but that's the scariest place to be. The worst place in the world you can be is happily disconnected from God. Notice how God goes after Jonah. I love this, verse 4. Jonah leaves, he heads for Tarshish, life is good, he's sailing away, goes down, takes a nap, he's on a cruise, he's feeling good, right? Just left Fort Lauderdale, he's heading down to the Caribbean, things are good, right? Um, but then there's a storm. But the Lord hurled a great storm upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Rats! Thought I was going to make it! God throws this storm at him. It gets so bad, the storm is about to break up the whole ship. You know, let me tell you, when you're in a storm, it's not always because you have sinned and left the presence of God, but it's always a good idea to check that out. It's always a good idea to say to the Lord, hey, God, have I, have I abandoned you? Is there a part of my life that I am dishonoring you or that I'm ignoring you? Never assume that it's not that. Even if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, always ask, God, what is this storm for? Is it because I've walked away from you in some area? Have I dishonored you? I want to repent if that's the case. Storms are always because either God's after you to bring you back or he wants you to know him in a much deeper way. A lot of people in storms for that reason. God, I, 
It's, it's the whole story of Job. We won't go into it now, but it's the story that, God, I want to know you in a much deeper way. I want you to know me, that I can be faithful to you in the storm. Verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to their God, and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had, and had lain down and was falling asleep. You know, fleeing from God is harmful to you and those around you. Jonah's on this ship. He probably hired the whole ship, incidentally. And he's sailing away. And what's happening? All these guys are starting to lose their livelihood because of Jonah's disobedience. And they say to him, they wake him up. Jonah, get up. What are you doing, man? Wake up. Call out to your God. We're crying out to our gods. They're probably Phoenicians. And they had multiple gods. And, and they're crying out to Jonah. Cry out to your God. And so Jonah does. But he's, and he says, listen, there's really no point. Because I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God of the Hebrews. And I'm actually a prophet of the Hebrews, by the way. And um, Actually, I'm running from God. And the storm is coming at me and us because I'm running from him. So what you need to do is toss me in the water which I would have done gladly. But they say, no, we're not going to do that. We don't want to do that. That would be bad for our reputation. You know, our Yelp reviews would fall. That wouldn't be good. Uh, we don't want people knowing that we throw our people overboard. That's just not going to be good, even in this crazy place we live. But eventually, they do throw them overboard. And immediately, the seas calm, and the pagan uh, Phoenicians worship the God of the Hebrews. Because he calms the storm immediately. What kind of a God can do that? So you know the story. Jonah goes down into the sea. He thinks this is it. And uh, he's going deeper and deeper in the sea. And then this incredible fish swallows him. And I know all you sea people are going, what the heck? What kind of fish would that be? Probably a whale shark. Just That's the best guess. Um, swallows him, and then in chapter 2, Jonah prays this prayer of repentance and this prayer that he knows God has rescued him while he's in the belly of a fish, which to me, I'm questioning the rescue at that point, because it doesn't seem like a very nice place. Imagine what's in the belly of a fish. I don't think I'm feeling like I'm rescued. I'm feeling like I'm probably doomed at this point, right? But Jonah's a man of God. He does hear the voice of God, even in rebellion. And he repents. He prays this incredible prayer of repentance, knowing that God is going to save him. Sure enough, God speaks to the fish. Fish deposits Jonah on the beach. And God gives him the same message. Go to Nineveh and cry out against it. And Jonah does. And he preaches a simple sermon in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. It says, Jonah began to go into the city, go on a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I mean, well, think about it. That's not a very long sermon. Jonah didn't go to preacher school to learn to be a better preacher before he went to Nineveh. Jonah does what? He shows up and simply delivers God's word. He invests rather than tries hard. He shows up. And what happens in verse 5? And the people of Nineveh believe God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And we see this incredible move of God, this mass repentance of the people of Nineveh. 
everyone repents at the message of Jonah. I would like to have been there. Wouldn't it be great to see a move of God like that? Many of you have heard about the Asbury uh, move of God right now happening at Asbury University. And uh, I'm not, I don't have any firsthand information other than to say that anytime students repent and worship for 10, 12, 14 days, I'm really in favor of that. I think that's incredible. You can't program that. You can't just go, hey, guys, we're going to do this for 14 days for 24 hours a day. No one's coming unless it's a move of God. See, our God can call people to repentance in that way. And by the way, revival always involves repentance. Always. People say, well, I thought revival was saving a bunch of lost people. Revival, no, it's actually God reviving people who were nearly dead. That's what revival is. And it always starts with his people. And maybe he wants to start with his people who've kind of not really been in on what God wants to do in their lives. And they've kind of been running from him. So God doesn't destroy the city of Nineveh. And this is when we find out why Jonah didn't want to go. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1 says, And it displeased Jonah exceedingly, greatly. He is super upset that God doesn't destroy Nineveh. And he prayed and he said to the Lord, Oh Lord, is, this, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. I can't stand what you are doing, God. How could you be this way? Let me ask you, how would you feel if God saved someone you just couldn't stand? Or if God forgave someone you couldn't forgive? If God did something you didn't want Him to do, it kind of gets to the inside of our heart, doesn't it? Let me ask you, what's the worst thing God could ask you to do? Does something come to your mind? What's the worst thing that He could ask you to do and you'd be like, I don't want to do that. I'm going the other way. I'm not doing that. I'm just not. What could make you be Jonah? So, see, if I'm here in church, there's nothing that could really. What does God's word say that you absolutely turn away from? Could be an assignment. I want you to forgive this person. But they don't deserve it. If I forgive them, then I'm not going to be able to punish them. Let me just let you in on something. Your job is not really to punish people. Matter of fact, your job is not really to judge people. That's God's job. You don't need to continue to suffer from someone else's abuse, but your job is not to actually punish people. That's why it says in the model prayer, God, would you forgive me even though I don't forgive anybody else? That's not what it says, is it? God, forgive me in the same way that I forgive other people. Because listen, if you can't forgive other people, you'll never repent of the sin of unforgiveness. 
hard because some of you have experienced some really hard things. You've experienced some difficult things from people. Can you forgive? Can you forgive? Maybe say, you know what, there's some things in my life I don't want to change. I like to be an angry person, some of you might say. That anger is so prevalent in our culture right now. You say, well, my anger is righteous. Is it really? I'm going to challenge you on about 99% of your anger. Say, is it really? Or are you really just trying to get your way because you can get louder? Or you can be scary? We need to repent of those things. See, the, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Maybe there's other areas. Maybe you just maybe you're so big on the truth that you get so annoying about what you know to be the truth that you don't, can't express love for people. Jesus said, "What the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Unless they're wrong, no, that's not what it says. You need to love people as yourself. Want for them what you want for yourself. Love God with everything that you are. Quit beating people up with the truth when you don't even love them." Maybe your issue is a lifestyle issue. You know, Steve, I have a sexual issue, and I don't, I don't like what the Bible says about that, so I'm going to live how I want to live. I'm going to be attracted to what I want to be attracted to. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. But you're running from God. It's going to be miserable. I don't want that for you. I want you to know the forgiveness that comes through repentance. I want you to know the joy of salvation. And we're going to talk about the joy of salvation next Sunday. The joy of the invested life. Maybe your struggle is that, God, I, I just can't be happy because other people have so much more than me. And I just want stuff that other people have, and it eats me up all the time. You need to repent of the sin of coveting. Set that aside. Our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Jesus is preparing a place for you if you belong to him. See, the uninvested life is a miserable and harmful life for you and for those around you. Invest your life in the mission of Jesus. Make that your mission. Not pleasing yourself, not pleasing your friends. Invest in your, your life in what Jesus wants to do through you. Maybe you need to let people know you are a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be annoying about it. You don't have to be in people's face. You don't have to stop everybody at Publix when they're trying to buy their produce. But you can let people know, man, I'm just so grateful that Jesus saved me. I'm so grateful I get to go to church on Sunday. I'm grateful that I'm forgiven. Find simple ways. I just want to let people know. Or maybe God is calling you to vocational ministry. Maybe he's calling you to serve him with your entire life. You say, well, Steve, I'm too old. Well, I was 40, so some of you are older than that, but a lot of you aren't. It's never too late. Maybe God's calling you to go cross-culturally somewhere else that you don't even know. Is there anything that God could ask you to do where you'd say, no, I'm going to Tarshish? I want to encourage you this morning. It's time to repent. It's one of the greatest words in all of Scripture. Because when I repent, I'm saying, Jesus, 
I want to turn around. I just want to turn around and I want you to forgive me. It's the opposite of trying harder. You don't say, God, I want to repent, so I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to try harder. Uh, uh, I'm just going to try really hard. No, it's repentance. says, God, I just want to turn around and I want you to forgive me. That's it. I'm going to invest my life. I'm going to invest my repentance in you, and you're going to pay me back by forgiving me. That's what that means. Sometimes people say, I can't, I'm afraid to repent because I don't think I can change. Listen, that's not the point. The point is, repent and let God change you and change your heart. This morning, in just a moment, we're going to invite those of you who have been saved, you've received the gift of salvation through faith and repentance, and you've been baptized by immersion, invite you to come and receive these elements and return to your seat. We'll take them all at once. But I want to urge you, before you do that, don't come if you're running from God. First, deal with that. Ask Him to forgive you. Return to Him. Allow His Spirit to permeate your soul. Enjoy His forgiveness before you come. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.